Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, a conversation about the significance of place, eliminating economic isolation, and the structure of belonging. My name is Devin Buston, and I'm the guest host for today's episode with Peter Block. This is the fifth in a series of six episodes focusing on the six conversations from Peter Block's work, beginning with invitation, possibility, ownership, and dissent, we now turn to the commitment conversation. These conversations are designed to occur in small groups, seeking to produce transformation in communities. We will begin this episode with a series of questions in order for you to understand the stakes of what Peter is discussing. So let's take a second. Allow yourself to be here in this moment, in the place you find yourself. Take a deep cleansing breath in and out. Bring to mind an issue that concerns you, something that matters to you, something that you would like to move forward on in some way. No need to place any extra pressure on yourself. Whatever comes up first for you is what you should focus on. Now find your breath again, and as you think about this issue, here's the question. What is the promise you're willing to make? What is the promise you're willing to make that constitutes a risk or major shift for you? Find your breath and allow the question to sink in. What is the promise you're willing to make? Take one last breath and hold that answer in your mind as we begin to listen to Peter. The world is deeply isolated. COVID has just reminded us, but we were as isolated before as we are now. And even if you walk away for an hour and come back, you need to reconnect. I don't care how long I've known you. In the morning, I start again. And so the idea is to try to impact the listening by getting people to realize that at least there's two people in this community that they know a little bit better and a little closer than they did when they walked in the room. I really think these questions are designed to change people's listening, even though they're called conversations. People say, well, I'm with people I know, but the idea that I know anybody really is kind of an illusion. Also to deliver on the promise and the demand that you're co-creating this event, that part of the transformation is to invert our thinking. The thinking is that the participants create the presentation. The reader creates the book. Student creates the teacher. And if you've ever had children, the children creates the parents. And so if that's true, why would we not start with you connecting with each other? The dominant narrative is leader is cause and everybody else is effect. And we train leaders to be role models, all kinds of silly things like that. In a way, the leader's task is to disappoint people's expectations that they are there to take care of us. All of these conversations are a reconstruction of our notion of leadership. It's an experiential way to express that. To say it is fine. But basically, the leadership as convener is to renegotiate the dominant social contract, which is leader as visionary. Everything around us reinforces the fact that leaders are the only ones worth listening to. The dominant narrative, pick up the news, they're only interested people who work in famous places. And so it's just an experiential way to say that your relationship with each other will build this business, not your relationship with me. And that's the essence of every conversation. Different windows into creating agency among us all. 
and get over the victimhood and the dependency and the entitlement that great leadership, great parenting, role models unintentionally produce. And it also carries a message, who's accountable? I plan to do my part, but it's everybody's task to care. That's why we talk about the common good it has to be created by commoning. And commoning is me deciding that my relationship with peers, especially if they're strangers, changes the world. And it isn't what people came for. I didn't come to break into small groups. Damn, you're the guru. You're the gray hair. You're the man I know. And so you're not the kind of leader that I had in mind as soon as you break them into small groups. And your answer is, I know. I didn't come here to be the kind of leader you had in mind. So this is a commitment conversation. So we talked about invitation means you come by choice and there's a hurdle. We talk about possibility, which means we didn't come here to solve problems because solve problems doesn't create an alternative future. It just makes things a little bit better. We talked about ownership, which means that the most powerful question in the world is what's my contribution to the very thing I'm complaining about? These conversations are designed to help us become powerful and move the action forward. There's a distinction underlying all of these that says that explanation has no power. And most of us spend half our lives trying to explain things, trying to research things. But it's not powerful. It's just interesting. What's powerful are declarations. And one of the key declarations is what's the commitment I'm willing to make? The sand is the next one. And the tagline is, if you can't say no, what does your yes mean? If you don't have doubts, you don't care. Don't tell me you don't have doubts about things you care the most about. And the next one is commitment. The world operates on barter. Quid pro quo, this is an alternative to barter. This is saying that if we want to move things forward, if I want a different future on things that matter to me, then I have to decide what am I willing to commit to, even though it's costly, even though it's risky. And people say, what's in it for me? The answer in this world is nothing I'm aware of. You have to decide what do you want to commit. And we use the word promise to crank that up. And so that's what we're going to work through. We want you to pick an issue. And the question is, what's something that concerns you? What's something that you are concerned about that matters to you, that you would like to kind of move forward on? So the small group, the whole idea is that our lives are some kind of weaving of small groups, and then we all get together. And when people come back from the small group, their tradition is to report. And it's too easy for it to be of interest to the small group, but not to the rest of us. And reporting is not a very powerful speech act. And usually it's part fiction. So my story, everybody's interested in my story, our stories, I think it's great to hear your story as long as you know that you made it up. The beauty of you making it up, and I know it's a great story, and your mother did do that, and the society is this way, is if I made it up, then I can change it as soon as I make up my mind. Part of the commitment conversation is the will I have to enter into an alternative story about whatever I'm doing. That's the promise of it. So the alternative is to say what struck you and I like the notion that I'm waiting for lightning to strike. There's a thunderstorm. Take me outside. And my resistance and my defenses are so well, you know, I need lightning. I'm never going to change my life from a whisper or a report or another study. And that's just the way I'm wired. So the question, what struck you, brings the fact that we're going to learn from our own reflections. We're not going to learn from reports and stuff like that. The other point is that a group, it's an organism. It's a living, breathing organism. And I don't have to check out every ounce of that organism to know how it's doing. All I need is its blood pressure, maybe, or its heart rate, 
or it's temperature. You know, I can't go anywhere without people taking my, I've never known my temperature so well in my life. Asking people what struck you is a way of, of getting some vital information, which all you need is three or four people because when one person speaks in a way, they're speaking for us all. We raised the question, is promise the right word? When I worked with flawless and used the word contracting, social contracting, got a lot of <clears throat> feedback. You can't use that word, it's a legal term. And promise has a spiritual dimension to it. Promise is akin to a covenant. A covenant is an agreement I make not knowing what I'm getting into. Like marriage is a good example of a covenant. You say yes to something. I don't care what you promise. You don't mean it. You, get, you don't find out till later what the hell you got into. But I made that covenant. And so the essence of this is to put bargaining aside and to say, what's the promise I'm willing to make with no expectation of return? That's a commitment. Saying no to something is a commitment. Sometimes the world wants you to make a promise, make a commitment. In organizations, especially because everybody wants everybody to be on board, team, player, you can't say no. But to say there's no commitment I'm willing to make at this moment is an act of great integrity. And it liberates other people from waiting around for it. You say, I'm still here. I'm part of this team. I'm part of this family. We're looking for a commitment. There's no commitment that comes to mind at this moment that makes sense to me. When somebody says that, you say thank you. Because the enemy of accountability, the enemy of love and peace and freedom is lip service. And so all of these conversations are an alternative to lip service, which is going along, whatever your issue is, to say, well, here's the promise I'm now willing to make. Here's the promise I made a month, a year, an hour ago. But I can always say, at this moment, what's the promise you're willing to make? And, and each of us has the right to say, no promise. And the team still functions. What kills teamwork is people giving lip service. Oh, yeah, I'm on board. You can count on me. That's all lip service. It's baloney. And so that's the focus is to say we want to make promises. It's a covenant. It's a promise with no expectation of return, which means that I can change my mind. I can come back and say I made a promise and I no longer want to make that promise. That's clean. But to say I'll do this if you'll do that is no commitment. It's just going shopping. All these are over-dramatized. But that's what we're trying to create is a world where people committed, not a world where people are consumers. You know, the consumer exchange is always unsatisfying. There's no such thing as customer satisfaction. And I know that because every time I buy something, it's obsolete by the time I get to my car. So what makes me satisfied back? And so our consumer mindset is designed for dissatisfaction. And we're trying to create an alternative world. An alternative future where you say, I want to live in a world where people make commitments, where people say no, where people have doubts, where people are invited, not mandated. I want to live in a world where we showed up for a possibility that we knew we would never achieve. But that kind of world is, I think, also what the world requires. There's no new normal. God saved me from another normal because the old normal didn't work very well. And so this whole point here is to say whatever issues you care about in a more authentic, deeper, powerful way. And so these are all ways of leading with the idea of co-creation instead of control, predictability, and consistency, which is the way we lead now. The structure is that each of us decide what promises are we willing to make. And then the team can say, well, given what we just heard, is that enough for us to meet our obligation and commitments to the larger institution? And the boss's role is to mediate because for you to have a budget, you had to make a promise. You make a commitment to the larger institution. But when it comes down to each of us, I'd rather say, okay, I'm still going to do your job. 
and a more accountable world is still a world where people get fired, but they get fired for doing lousy work. They don't get fired because they're cranky or irritable. And so I think there's just space for no commitment. Over time, of course, you're going to have to make a commitment, but I need to be tolerant and let you think through what is it that you're really willing to commit to. And it's the collection of our promises that creates productivity. It creates agility. It creates all the things that businesses and organizations and people want. And it keeps us from making false promises because that's the danger. Well, if you're not willing to make a commitment, let us know when you are. You can't live forever without a commitment. But at the moment, I don't want it to be coercive. You can't wait for certainty. You can't wait to be sure. You have the doubt. The more you express the doubts in a real way, the less controlled you are by the doubts. But if you're waiting to be not afraid, if you're waiting to not be doubtful, then you're not doing something big enough. There are certain things I know exactly what's going to happen. Most of the time I go into my car and it starts. But I love the notion that action is filled with doubt, filled with uncertainty, and you do it anyway. Faith replaces perfection. You say, well, I got to get it right this time. Well, then that's just a lack of faith. What is the promise you're willing to make? As you bring your commitment back to mind, I'd like you to say the commitment out loud so you can hear yourself. Now allow yourself to answer this question. What price are you willing to pay to keep this promise? Again, what price are you willing to pay to keep this promise? As you consider this answer, I'd like to share an untitled piece I wrote that was inspired by the poet David White. 39 miles into your road, you woke in a dark wood. The whole way was wholly lost, shadow the noonday sun. Further into every fear, you can't go back, you can't stay here. Noises you can't name, song without a shape. If you find a path, then it's not your path. Blind to all light, except the spark, flicker behind the fright. Just step and let it leap to flame, whirl at the weakest wave. Further into every fear, you can't go back, you can't stay here. Notice how the ground wants to pull you down, fire in its core, fire in your core. Let it light your song, brittle but your own. Everything will change every time you change. As we return, Peter models the commitment conversation with Brian McConnell. First, I just want to thank you for doing this. What's the issue you'd most like to focus on? What's the concern that you want to bring to this moment? Something you're concerned about in the world, you care about in the world that's kind of perplexing to you at the moment, or you're ambivalent about it. I think the thing is my desire and my need to sort of help young people, and specifically young fathers, grow and understand their rights and how to be better for themselves and the community. Your last statement, though, I think I may have to change. You know, I don't want to be too helpful. But, you know, just give them tools. Why does this matter so much to you, Brian? Because I was a young father without any training and a bunch of doubts, a bunch of fear. And more than that, what I see is children hurting because men are not informed about what they can do and should do. 
And so I just kind of learned through trial and fire, if you will. But I hear it in conversations where fear takes over and they just rather avoid the situation than leaning into the situation. Tell me something a little about the fear just so I can understand it. The child being taken away from them, not having control is a big issue for a lot of them. Feeling like they don't have any rights or the system isn't. They're absent fathers. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about that in the world, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. At what moment did you decide to do something about it? I would say when I saw my daughter's little face, it was like a movie moment. Like I'm responsible for how she sees the world to some degree. Wow, that was powerful. It's great. It's kind of tricky to know how to act on this without being helpful, isn't it? Absolutely. I know. The fact you said the students create the teacher, right? Yeah, that's what you're doing to me right now. (laughs) (laughs) What's the commitment? What would a commitment sound like that would move something forward for you? Walking away from my job and taking a leap of faith, I think. That's the thing, the strenuous piece of it all. Do you have a sense of what you'd be leaping into? Only from my perspective. I know, I'm interested in your perspective. Probably a lot of resistance. Resistance on whose part? The people I'm trying to help, probably. People that need the help. Beautiful. The institution, if you will, uh, approaching them to do it a different way than how it's been done. Even myself, fear. This isn't working. How long is this going to take to see gains and promise? And did I do the right thing? Got it. Got it. Those are beautiful questions. So for your commitment would be to say, yes, I'm going to do this wholeheartedly, full-timedly. Mm-hmm. And the fact that nobody's calling on me to do it. Anybody watching says you're probably not qualified to do it. And you may never know whether it made a difference. I wouldn't talk you out of any of those. Mm-hmm. It's true. That's the world. What's the price you would pay if you, if you took this leap of faith at this moment? A few less dollars in my pocket, probably. Maybe a healthcare benefit or two. If I'm honest, I think I would gain more. The price I'm paying for it now is the anxiety, the fear. I think I'm paying for it now. You're pre-paying. So you're talking to your conscience, aren't you? All the time. Yeah, it's my best friend and my worst enemy. So, yeah. That's what love's all about. The commitment. If it's a real commitment, it has those qualities. You're going to make a commitment, aren't you? I would suggest you do it by 2.30 this afternoon if you're on Eastern time. No pressure at all. Well, it is pressure. But (laughs) in a way, sometimes you make the commitment and then you sit on it for 24 hours and you decide whether it feels right to you. Let me ask you one more thing. How do you feel about this conversation? What struck you about this conversation? How has it gone for you? It's freeing, if I'm honest. I feel relieved. I am in a room full of strangers to some extent. I mean, we've been with each other a while. How'd it go? It went all right. I appreciate you for for moderating there for me. It does give me a little more strength to be committed to it. I think that's true. I think when you go public and you can't control the response, you change your relationship about what you went public with. Yeah. A small group is one thing. This was, yeah. this was a lot different than the small group. <laughs> this is the world. And that's probably as close you're going to get to feeling the freedom is you're going to say what you came to say. And it doesn't matter how people respond. You care about it, but it doesn't keep you from doing this. I think your generosity is what I'm struck by. 
and that you're capable of loving strangers and being a father and a black father. You need to lead us in that direction because we have a story about you that has nothing to do with who you are. The world has a story. I love what you're doing. Your leadership is awesome. Thank you. And, and you started it by just saying yes to this invitation, even though it had a big hammer behind it. I appreciate the invitation and the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> this has been amazing. So I appreciate appreciate everyone. To everyone I shared a small group with, I appreciate it. Got till 2.30. I'm on it. You just keep gravitating to the most personal you know how to do, given the context of just meeting Brian. So I could have said, well, what would the action look like, Brian? What would you, what would you do? What's your strategy? That creates distance. And so you just want to postpone action conversations as long as you can. And then when something touches you, you put it into words. It's courage, it's integrity. As soon as you said, I'm scared, I'm afraid, I'm going to get resistance, quit my job, I'm going into the wilderness. When you hear somebody say that, you bless them for it. You say, wow, you really mean that, don't you? You don't reassure them and say, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. It won't be fine. It'll be what it is, all right? It allows you to shift your relationship to whatever you're talking about. So he's not owned by the fear and the doubt. And I also, the word truth wasn't used because I always get squeamish. Let me share my truth. This isn't your truth. You're making this up. This is your humanity. And so the affirmation, the restating what's vulnerable, the avoidance of action. And I don't need a lot of detail to, to be connected to Brian. There's all kinds of stuff I don't know. I'd like to know, but I don't need to know. I just really need to be an attention that goes after the most difficult things that come up and just lets them sit. I thought it was very powerful when Brian says, well, now I've gone public, comma, damn it. This process asks people, even in a work setting, to go public. Because I know if people say things out loud to other people, they reclaim some control over what it is they're worried about. He says, I'm terrified. I'm afraid. I don't even know whether what I'm going to do is going to have any impact. Well, that's what it means to be a human being. And so you affirm people's humanity and get off the action wagon. To not make a decision means you're stuck in the world. But if I say, this is not something I'm going to decide right now, good. We can move on. We can connect around that. That is a commitment. That If you're looking for a decision from me right now, I don't want to make it. It's not that I can't make it. It's not that my mother won't let me or you don't understand the circumstances I'm in. It's just right now, I'm not going to make that choice. Brian can come back and say, you told me to make a commitment by 2.30. He can come back at 2.29 and say, the hell with you. I'm not going to do it. That doesn't feel right to me. And so if you are explicit about your refusal to decide, then it allows the world to move on and allows you to move on. And then some point says, okay, I'm ready. But the most painful is to not make a decision and pretend like I have. That's when I lose my integrity, is when I say, oh yeah, I'm going to do it, but I don't mean it. I'm not ready for it. My asking to do it by 2.30, that's a friendly lean. I don't really mean it. I'm just making the choice clearer. I think this is caring. It's just different than helping. I had no idea what Brian should do or what's in his interest. I really don't. If I did have an idea, then I'd be crossing over into this. I know what's best for you. I pray for him, but I don't know what's best for him. My question is, how long does it take to fall in love? I'm somebody very cautious. I'm very shy. I'm inward. It takes me, you know, before me to trust. Well, we have all these stories about trust and affection and closeness. And once you make up your mind, 
Now, if I fall in love, I don't mean it literally, but I do. And there's no reason to, to take months. And when people say 15 minutes wasn't enough, my response, I know it's not enough, but that's what you got. 15 years isn't enough. 80 years isn't enough, comma, that's what you got. The whole notion of these, and it's not just these questions, there's a hundred other questions, is they get us to the point and they make us powerful. Power and leadership in this context is the capacity to create an alternative future. It's stunning to me how little time it takes once I make up my mind. This is not an ideology. It's just that it just doesn't take as long as we thought. And what's interesting, if it becomes a practice in a group to have these conversations, everybody doesn't have to have them. When I listen in my small group or listen with Brian, or what Brian is working out, he's working out for all of us. We are a bundle of humanity, and we don't have to go to 145 people. And when Brian agrees ahead of time, gets into something, he has no idea what he's getting into, but he does. There's a progress or movement there that we all take with him. If there's something I want from you that's being channeled through the question I'm asking, then that's making a deal. And nothing wrong with making a deal, it just doesn't change the future. And there's nothing wrong with barter. It's just, a, it's not a commitment. But if my questions seem to be leading us somewhere, they're not really questions. They're just clever ways of controlling you, basically. Get what I want from you. At some point, I got to say, there's nothing I want from you except to be here right now doing what we're doing. And so you, you see a lot of leading questions, especially in the sales world, especially people overcoming resistance. You don't overcome resistance. You take it side. People that Brian has said or any of us would say, hey, this conversation is not working for me. I would say, good point. I would say, well, why isn't it working? What can I do differently? Let it go. Not working. Got it. Why would we do something that's not working? The idea of resistance is to take its side. Common, there's nothing to argue about. Thanks for listening. You can find more about the conversations in Peter Block's book, Community, Structure of Belonging, and in the show notes. This episode has been hosted by me, Devin Buston. It's been produced by Joey Taylor, and the music is from Jeff Gorman.